Welcome back to The Vibe, guys. I am so excited to have Chloe Harouche, co-founder of The Lambie. Chloe is a female entrepreneur, cancer survivor, and major disruptor in the health industry. The Lambie is redefining primary care, recognizes this is not a one-size-does-not-fit-all situation, and ultimately takes the work out of wellness with evidence-based programming. After being diagnosed with cancer at 23 years old, Chloe realized the gaps in our healthcare system and her frustration as a patient fueled her research and passion into creating The Landy, a members only club that prioritizes a patient's need from every touch point. They take an expansive approach to primary care, one that's integrative, customized and service, service centric because one size does not fit all and it does take a team to treat the system, not the symptom. <laughs> I love that. I'm so excited to dive deep into this and would so love to, for you to introduce your own self because I can introduce you, but nothing comes better than from the girl herself, Chloe. So I would love, if there's anything I miss in there for you to introduce yourself. Thank you. No, I'm so, so happy to be here. And that intro was more justice than I could have ever done for myself. Um, so just quickly, I'm from New York, um, was born and raised in the city, um, went to Penn undergrad to study bioengineering. I'm I've from Philly. I've always been obsessed with medicine, science. Sorry. What? I grew up in Philly. Oh God. I mean, yeah, Philly is, Philly is a great place to go to school. It's yeah. great. It's a mini New York in yeah. many ways. Totally. Um, so loved that whole experience. Obviously really enjoyed my, my, degree um, ultimately though decided to go into healthcare consulting because you know I wanted to understand how the healthcare system worked I wanted to understand who all the players were in order to be able to innovate and create change you needed to see who the stakeholders were um, mm -hmm. that you were impacting and so ultimately what I focused on in consulting was the provider experience how to leverage technology to improve their operational workflows and really make their lives easier um, and then during that time, I was 23 years old, got diagnosed with breast cancer. And so that for me was this like eye-opening experience into what the patient experience was, because obviously I'd been so focused on the provider experience, on the behind the scenes of the healthcare system that I never stopped to think how all of that ultimately affected the patient. Right. Um, and so through that experience really just dug into what those pain points are for patients as they're navigating a diagnosis or just trying to optimize their health and obviously for me it fell into both of those categories because during treatment i was very much focused on you know seeing a ton of specialists and connecting the dots and making sure that i was advocating on behalf of myself and really making sure that the treatment plan that i received was the best one for me right. um, and then on the flip side of that post-treatment obviously became very interested in prevention and wellness and wanted to talk to my doctors about that because ultimately I didn't trust myself to make those decisions. I wanted to get that guidance from clinical people um, and quickly realized that doctors are very focused on their specialty. Right. And if you want to be focused on prevention, you have to sort of go outside of the traditional healthcare model. Um, and that's sort of ultimately what prompted me to build a Lambie with my co-founder because we both were just sort of at our wits end in trying to get value out of the traditional model that we decided, you know what, in order for us to really create a version of primary care that was relevant, that was accessible, that was enjoyable to interact with, we needed to completely start from scratch. I love that. And obviously, 
I can't even imagine what it was like to go through all of that at the ripe age of 23. So one, I just want to say like, thank you for sharing that vulnerableness because it's got to be tough. And I'm so glad to see you on the other side. <laughs> so I just want to put that thank out you. there. And I think that there's nothing more special than creating something from something that affected you yourself because you're just so much more passionate to get it done. So just had to put that out there as I'm like literally already in tears. This is who I am. I cry all the time. So I figured the best place for us to start was, was with, is if we talk about the bridge between medicine and wellness and what that should look like via primary care. I feel like primary care is something most, or I hope most listeners are familiar with, which is something that believe it or not, a lot of people really don't like we, I say this to you, I'm like, we know what primary care is, but a lot of people are just like not educated on what that may mean. So I would love to talk about that bridge, the gap between that totally. bridge. I mean, I think that you just pointed out the biggest problem within primary care. The fact that people don't know what it is is because there's no value to primary care as it stands. It's sort of a shell of what it was originally intended to be, which is a first line of defense. So when you think about healthcare being reactionary, um, primary care was designed to sort of capture the majority of your healthcare needs, up to 80%. And so when you remove primary care from the picture, patients ultimately end up relying upon other um, players within the healthcare ecosystem, like specialists or urgent care, and now more recently, wellness. Um, and so people are now using wellness to supplement what they otherwise would want to get out of primary care, but they know they can't have because fee-for-service, unfortunately, does not reimburse for high-quality healthcare. And so that's sort of where we thought about the fact that, you know, in order for us to engage people in primary care, in order for primary care to be focused on prevention, we need to inspire people to interact with the healthcare system. Absolutely. And in order for us to do that, we need to make the experience so good, so intellectually stimulating, so pleasant and joyful that we actually get people in the door. And then once we get people in the door, then how do we make the value proposition actually effective so that we're not necessarily focused on exclusively medicine, but we're actually tying in relevant wellness modalities around nutrition or sleep optimization and wearable data in order to actually empower patients to make better decisions in their day-to-day -day lives and ultimately mitigate their risk for more serious complications down the road, which is where true interaction with you know traditional healthcare comes into play, where you have to be hospitalized, or you have to go to the emergency room, or you need a surgical procedure. You know, we want to minimize all of that stuff as much as possible and right. instead focus our interactions around prevention. And and just before we get deeper, why do you think it is that people are so like everybody should be given healthcare. Everybody should be, everyone should be, that should be like a given right, whatever. But why do you think it is that so many people don't really know much about it? Like, why do you think it is, it's almost like taboo, it feels like to like talk about it, which it should not even at all. But why do you think it's something that's like, like, I'm sorry, but in school, like I think there should be a course about healthcare. <laughs> like I really, really do. But why do you think that is? And I, and I see people all the time being like, gotta stick with this job because I still get my health insurance. And it's like, but do you even know what that really means? So what do you think it is also that bridge between understanding? Cause I feel like a lot of people just like don't understand. So they don't dig deeper. Yeah. Like, no, I, mean, I think the reason is because historically patients haven't gotten much value out of a primary care doctor. They go from a pediatrician 
where they get all of this value because they have paperwork and vaccinations and they need to sort of meet certain milestones in their their growth or in their development but then they get to the age of you know 20 they're graduating from college and they don't really know where to go because they're like in this awkward phase where they're like, I'm generally healthy. I don't need to go to a primary care doctor once a year because one, the experience of booking an appointment is so miserable. The experience of interacting with the staff in a doctor's office is so miserable. And then the time that I get with the primary care doctor himself or herself is so sort of bare bones and superficial that it really doesn't create much of an impact on my day to day. So unless I need to actually go to the doctor because I'm sick, I'm going to avoid it at all costs. Right. And so that's where we land, which is people that are in this like sweet spot of 25 to, you know, let's call it 45, avoid going to the doctor unless they're, you know, dealing with some sort of chronic condition, which right. again, could have been prevented with good primary care. Right. Um, or two, again, they're dealing with a fertility issue or a hormone issue or an endocrine issue. Totally. Um, or... I'm guilty, some sort I'm guilty of, of it too. That's affecting their quality of life. I said I'm totally guilty so. of it too. I feel like everyone is, but I just wanted you to talk about that like specific because I do feel a lot of people don't have the just generalized knowledge about that. And I just love that you just went into it. So something obvious, I think everybody has noticed something we were just talking about before was Sorry, my tea just went down the wrong pipe. Um, you know, none of us have really been going to a doctor in person. Not like we like I pers- I honestly don't remember the last time I not remember. I do remember the last time I saw a doctor in person. Not in the last two years. I don't think I I think I saw a doctor once and it was in a COVID line. So it wasn't even like a real doctor experience. Okay. So what I'm getting at is that we haven't, we've just been virtually seeing doctors, the amount of virtual appointments I've had that I'm like, but you don't know, but how can you know? So what I wanted to ask is how can we thoughtfully integrate tech and healthcare without losing human touch? Because it does get lost. And listen, even you and I were vibing right now, but do you know how many doctors I have not vibed with? Cause I'm like, I need an answer. I need an answer. Like right now we're having a conversation, but how do we, you know, get to that place where we can integrate tech and healthcare without losing that human touch and like feeling seen and heard and all of those things. So fortunately, because we really thought about this from the patient perspective, we knew exactly the role that we wanted humans, i.e. doctors to play in this this sort of model. Um, And for us, it was about establishing that relationship, establishing that rapport in order for you to create trust and have credibility in the person or in the team that's guiding your decisions. And so when we thought about what we wanted to instill as sort of a high priority, no, um, no compromising solution, we decided that every member would get assigned a dedicated three-person care team. They're always interacting with the same three people. And yes, there will be tech involved in the sense that the tech empowers those providers to do their job a lot more easily. But the person that you as a patient are interacting with is always the same team. And that should always be the case because patients are humans and we don't want to talk to a bot. We don't want to go through a series of questions yes or no, before we get connected to a doctor, we want that high touch personalized care. Absolutely. And so that's what we do is we, we do create those, those relationships with our patients. Um, but for the most part, 
To your earlier point, 80% of our follow-up visits are being done virtually. The difference for us, again, is that we're not replacing the doctor with just a face of tech. Right. Like the, the doctors that patients are interacting with are doctors that they've already established rapport with in person because their first baseline visit is done in person. And then after that, they have the option to do everything virtually. And so again, we're using the virtual and the tech to maximize convenience, increase accessibility, and also increase consistency of care. But we're not you know, completely replacing the role of the doctor, which ultimately does have sort of not only the human touch, but there is also a level of innovation that comes into play that you just can't formulate with, you know, you know, AI powered tech. Like you lose that sense of thinking outside the box and connecting the dots, which when you talk about integrative medicine, a lot of the times it's piecing together symptoms that otherwise people might might sort of glance over and treat them in silo. Totally. And I love that and I want you to know I go into these researching as little as possible because I want to learn from you as well. So I think I didn't know that there were there were there sorry, that there were three people on like each person's like team, let's say for instance. If I had three people that I knew that I was always going to be able to chat with about like whatever it was with me, I'd love that. But I can't you're right, I can't do these random bots who the bot three days ago, I can't reiterate that issue over and over again. But when you do have a team, even if it is like just via like screen time or whatever it may be, I feel see, you know what I mean? Like if it's, if it's a person that I consistently see, okay, it's like therapy. I go to, I do therapy via zoom. I feel, you know what I mean? I'm like, I feel seen, I feel heard. It's the same consistency. It's the same person. It's the same person who has seen what I'm feeling, what I look like. You know what I mean? And that, that matters. So it's, it's nice to know that you guys have like a three person team that works together all the time with that patient, whichever patient it is at that time. So something you and I have been going not back and forth on, but how do we address this? So first, before we address what I'm going to bring up, I would love for you to get into patient advocacy and what that means, what it entails and ultimately affects with the patient. And then I'll get into yeah. what you know what we're going to say after that. <laughs> so at its core, patient advocacy is about information. It's about having as much access to information and knowledge about how these systems work in order for you to be able to make your own decisions um, and feel that the decisions being made are the ones that are best for you. Because again, the medical healthcare industry is very much one size fits all. That's why standard protocols exist. And so typically you as a patient will fall under a certain pathway um, that is very easy for a doctor to assign to you. And you as a patient have the option to basically veto and say, no, this won't work for me. And it's funny because when I was a patient, I never challenged my doctors ever, ever, ever. I had them on a pedestal and anything that they said was truth. And I just wanted to be their favorite patient. And yet what happened was that post-treatment, I no, seriously, because when you be, when you're their favorite patient, they're going to spend extra time. Told, no, no, no I to, I'm like, laughing because I totally am the same. I'm like, I would want to be the favorite. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So in post-treatment, I started asking my questions about, started asking my doctors questions about uh, prevention and wellness and nutrition and the role of all of this in my cancer mitigation strategy. Um, And ultimately their answer to me was always like, I don't know. 
Um, I'm not the right person for you to ask. And so that started getting my wheels turning and, and, you know, realizing that I needed to be my own advocate. I needed to go out and research these things. I needed to sort of create my own dream team of providers that would allow me to optimize in a safe way where they knew my medical history. They knew the dangers of optimizing certain things without, you know, taking into account the impact to the rest of my body and my system um, so that I could really see the best results. And so that's really what I did is I, I started asking questions. I started doing a lot of research um, and that's how I became my own advocate. What we try to do at the Land B is take that work off the hands of a patient because no one has time for that. Seriously, it takes so, so much time to educate yourself on the latest podcasts around and the latest research studies and the latest data. It's, it's really exhausting and it's also very stress inducing because Absolutely. there are so many questions that come from that research and you don't necessarily know how to personalize it to you. And so being able to have that guidance come from a team who are your advocates at the end of the day and basically quarterback your health every step of the way is where the land B as a primary care player should come into, into, you know, fold of, of your journey. Um, and so that's how we think about patient advocacy to answer your question in a very long winded way no, is great. really patients more knowledge um, and more support as they navigate both the health and the wellness industries. So really wild, but Chloe and I were supposed to have this interview like two weeks ago. A lot's happened in the world since those two weeks have happened. And I have to ask, we're not going to get political or anything, but because patient advocacy, I wanted to personally bring this up. So currently right now we have the Roe versus Wade situation going. And for those of you who do not know what Roe versus Wade is, it's a landmark decision of the U.S. Supreme Court in which the court ruled that the Constitution of the United States protects a pregnant woman's liberty to choose to have an abortion without excessive government restriction. And this was enacted in 1973. And I say 1973 because that's only just a couple of years, like just, just a few years ago. So with that being said, patient advocacy and you know, I'm not even just saying Roe versus Wade, but just because this just came up patient, if, if a, let's say someone was coming to you right now in this situation, how would you say, how would you advocate for a patient in this situation? Because I'm sure right now people are needing this so bad, like they're, they're needing anybody to speak out and help and, you know, be, be an extra, I, I like to call it an octopus. Everybody's arms are all in, you know what I mean? So I felt it was yep, just important. Yep it would be wrong of me to not use my platform to mention maybe how this could help others as well. Yeah, so first of all, I just have to preface by saying I'm no legal expert. But 100%, that neither said, am I. <laughs> when, it, when it comes to patient advocacy, specifically around sexual health and yeah. being proactive and preventive and making sure that again, you as a woman understand your body um, and how it works is the key to mitigating the risk for a need for abortion. So let's let's put abortion aside and let's start to ask ourselves, how can we actually empower girls at a young age to understand what their ovulation cycle actually looks like? Because if you look at the month that you have in between periods, you're only ovulating three days of the month. So in those three days, 
women need to know that those yeah. are the three days of the month that they need to be extra careful. I don't know if that means that you don't go out that night. I don't know if it means that you abstain from sexual intercourse with your partner. You're like, I don't care what it is. is. <laughs> you use a condom. And I'm not sort of blanketing everyone should be on birth control because I actually am not of the mindset that everyone should be on a birth control pill. Right. But I do think that women need to be more educated around how fertility actually works 100%. in order for them to be proactive about mitigating the risk of pregnancy. Because again, like we don't even have to talk about abortion right. as much as we are if women were just better educated around the reproductive system. And, and I, so love that that, really I love starts. that you said that because last year, a year from now, I got off birth control and I had to download this app because I was like, I'll never remember when I'm going to get my period anymore. And I learned so much. I still use the app. It's been a year. I use the app to this day and it shows you those three days. And as a woman, <laughs> you notice what's going on down there, but it's really so true. You can only notice if you really pay attention to your body. And I never knew what was going on until I finally got off of it, finally noticed. And like now I'm like, I'm not sexually active right now, but let's pretend I was. I know which days I am not fucking. <laughs> like we just know which days I'm not. <laughs> exactly, it's three days of the month. And that way, again, like this is sort of the preventive approach to a very, very complicated issue. Um, and so I think that that's sort of where I would encourage our, you know, efforts to go into is also sort of building that knowledge base, empowering women yeah. at a young age to be able to talk openly about fertility and about their hormones and about what ovulation really means. But totally. Um, and the, and things, that, and the things that happen during it too. Like I've noticed more about my body since I got off of birth control than ever. I think I was suppressed obviously, but I'm learning so much more now that I'm like a certain girlfriends ask me things and I'm like, Oh, it's because of this, 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 this. And I never fucking knew that before yeah. because I was just taking a pill every single day to, to, to deal with my body. Exactly. And that, uh, unfortunately, that's what a lot of a lot of women have done. And so yeah. we've suppressed the natural production of our hormones, which leads to a lot of other issues that we're then not aware of until those issues present themselves. And then it's too late because you're then, oh, it's just, it's a well, whole rabbit hole. But I, um, I just wanted to touch base on that. I think both of us couldn't have done a better, perfect job of just putting it lightly out there. And I just think it's an important thing as a society, as a human race, as females here to just put it out there. And if you want to know more about patient advocacy, come back to this podcast. <laughs> so there are now going back to back to our track. Uh, so there are so many issues in the healthcare system, such as admin burnout in patients, doctors, insurance, lack of help and exhaustion. How do we get to a common ground here where there isn't such burnout within not just the admin, but the patient? Like, how do we get to a place where we are all refresh and I get it that there are always going to be times that we're all just manic and a little bit crazy and sometimes there's full moons and we're all nuts and whatnot but especially right now I mean I have doctors I was telling you I live in an apartment building I have doctors who are like please wear a mask the, the hospitals are crazy please do this like they're exhausted so how do we and us too we're exhausted too you're saying like the only time we go to a doctor is to stand in a four-hour COVID line like how do we get to a place where we are not as patients and as doctors not feeling this insane burnout and admin, I can't even imagine what like uh, insurance companies, like 
I don't care what they're feeling to be completely honest, but I can't imagine like, how do we, you know, find a common place where it's not so stressful. And I know money is stressful and all of those things. Admin is stressful. I always, admin, I always say to people, admin's just not my thing. <laughs> it's just not my thing. So when I think about it in work, I'm like, God, I can't, I can't, like when I was reading about you, I was like, oh, the admin, the admin. So getting back to that, how do we get, yeah. how do we like allow ourselves to like not get so exhausted, to not feel this insane burnout, especially when it comes to specifically primary care, because we shouldn't be stressing mm-hmm. ourselves out when we're trying to better our health. <laughs> For sure. So it really starts with the fee-for-service model. So the way that that works is insurance reimburses providers or hospital organizations based on volume. So the more patients that they see in a day, the more money that they make. And so what that means is that patients are trying to fill out their schedule as much as they possibly can in order to make the most money because that's what incentives are. It's really cash-based. And so when we as patients want that extra time, we're sort of not fighting the, the, the fight because you can't get more time in that model. It just doesn't work. Doctors don't want to give you more time because they're not compensated for it. And so in order for us to one, alleviate the burnout of, of providers where they're able to really spend more time with patients and be more focused on your health outcomes as opposed to you as a number, that's when we start to really see progress and the ability for us both as providers and as patients to focus on prevention, which does take that extra step, going the extra mile. Obviously, when you talk about going outside of the insurance model, the question becomes, well, how accessible is that? And so what people don't realize is that insurance traps you into paying really, really high premiums. And so ultimately you're, you're insuring your health by investing in insurance. And why would we do that when insurance, again, incentivizes the system to focus you on you know getting sick staying sick and ultimately coming back right Right. so let's put our dollars elsewhere where it's really focused on prevention like a flat fee membership model doesn't have to be the lambie it could be any flat fee membership model where incentives are aligned and providers are empowered to spend that extra time with you and so ultimately what that means is that patients can switch to a high deductible health plan where ultimately they're self-insuring with primary care, with a membership, um, and and ultimately save money because they're saving upfront on those premiums and they're saving downstream by preventing themselves from getting some sort of chronic disease, which as you can imagine is very expensive. So that's the first thing. The second big thing is this three-person care team approach. It's almost unrealistic for us as consumers to expect that doctors can literally be superheroes. Like they're humans. So we can't expect them to provide the medicine and provide the wellness and do the admin support. Like you're really expecting these people to have not only the brain capacity of like, again, I don't really know an alien, but also also spending hours and hours and hours a day on admin. So ultimately the way that we've designed our model is such that we focus the provider's attention on where it matters so that they're really focused on the clinical responsibilities, making sure that they're giving the time to think outside the box, to do research, to stay on top of the latest and greatest in science and in tech so that they can provide their patients with the best resources, the best guidance, et cetera. They're then coupled with a wellness advisor who's the second person on the care team who has a registered dietitian background. And so from a 
clinical and a science perspective, she can very much understand the, the clinical side of things and take into account the patient's medical history, but ultimately is guiding them around anything wellness related. So obviously starting with nutrition, but factoring in exercise and sleep and mental health and how all of that can be sort of tracked through wearable data and really leveraging all of that information to power your goals. Right. So that's the wellness advisor working hand in hand with the doctor. And then the third person is a concierge manager who for us has a hospitality background. And so what that helps us is achieving what patients want is someone who actually can communicate in an effective way, who is kind, who is genuine, <laughs> who actually can speak in, in a vocabulary that patients can understand and truly advocate for those patients, not only externally with a broader healthcare system, but also internally, because as you can imagine, there are times when the doctor and the wellness advisor have recommendations and the concierge manager will stand up for the patient and say, that is too extreme. I don't think that the patient will buy that. Let's offer two options. Let's offer to meet the patient where they're at. And that's sort of where, again, it's very much this collaborative approach that facilitates a overall more efficient experience, but also a more robust and comprehensive experience for everyone involved. I can't tell you how badly I needed you guys like three years ago when I had a situation come up and like I as you can imagine many stories of going to doctors and doctors and doctors and this and that and not being heard and whatnot and spending tons of money so it's amazing to hear your approach because I'm like wow what I would have done to have somebody say the words for me properly and like get it like muster it out for me because at the end of it like you're as a as a patient you're exhausted like you are also exhausted from explaining yourself to like all these fucking doctors and people and whatnot so to be able to have like a team of people to be able to be your 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 voice and like help you out and be that person for you or be able to be like no she doesn't want that because sometimes i get nervous i'm like wait can i say no here or not like it's a, it's a very right, real thing right. like sometimes i'm like wait okay this doctor went to harvard maybe i should say yes and sometimes the answer is really no and like that's something that like we get peer pressure people always say like you only get peer pressured for like drugs and alcohol i'm like i get peer pressured into like buying a green juice that i never even wanted like i can get peer pressured into anything so no i think that that's like a really important thing especially for somebody like me i would love to have you guys <laughs> advocate for me <laughs> because i have a hard time i'm really good about speaking about certain things when it comes to my health, I get so scared and sensitive and lose my track of thought and get emotional. And there's a lot that goes into it, but it is kind of like, yeah, I would love to have a crew behind me. You know, as a kid, you go with your parents to the doctor and you have them to advocate for you. And not that I think we need that in our lives always, but your parents ask those questions that you didn't know to ask when you were little. So like right. having right. a team ask those questions that you don't know as an adult, because why would we know them? <laughs> Like, you, right. you know what I mean? Like, we still do It really translates also to the wellness industry. Like, yeah. people don't stop to think about how dangerous the wellness industry can become once people start self-treating with wellness. And not only is it dangerous from a medical standpoint, but it's also dangerous from a wallet standpoint. Like, you're spending a lot of money on wellness services that are potentially ineffective because you're prioritizing strategies that, again, are not necessarily going to have the greatest impact for you specifically. 
there are other people where it will have a greater impact and maybe they're on a different stage in their journey than you are. But ultimately having a team that helps you sift through the noise is also hugely valuable as the wellness industry becomes increasingly complex and overwhelming. Huge. And I do want people to think about that. Like that when we used to go to the doctor with our parents, like our parents were asking those like hard hitting questions that we didn't know or like being, you know, you know, really making sure they're like, does my kid have this? Does my kid, what about this? What about that? We didn't know if there were, there's a reason why it was easy. Maybe that's why we don't know anything about healthcare because our parents were those people. So it is nice to like have that. And I just wanted to put that out to, to get a really good idea of how to explain that to people. So yeah, it's funny because we used to call the concierge manager your healthcare mom exactly (laughs) because concierge used to be mom love you mom no but really nothing like having your parents go to the doctor with you seriously (laughs) it's like mom i don't want to say that this is hurting please tell them that it's been so bad but that really is how it is it's like sometimes you don't feel like like tell it like when you're not feeling well or you're not feeling right or hey maybe it's a personal part of your body or something like it is nice to have somebody else say it because there's people like me who get super emotional and can't even muster the words out. <laughs> it's, it's just so funny you say that because I hear you but at the same time I remember so vividly when I was a patient and I was meeting with doctors and I remember I was 23 so I was still my parents child at the end of the yeah. day and my mom you were still your parents child <laughs> yeah and I, my mom would come with me to doctor's appointments and she would ask so many questions and I, it drove me crazy. I actually at one point kicked her out of the room because That's I was right. like, you are offending the doctor. I, I truly yeah. put them on such a pedestal. And also obviously for me, because I had a bioengineering background, I had studied biology, I had right. studied medicine. Like I understood how these things worked. And so it was easier for me to understand the treatment approach than for my mom who you know didn't really have that same background. And But I had no sympathy. I just, I wanted... I wanted the the doctor again to really, really like me questions in my prompted them to find us annoying and therefore like want to be done with us. Exactly. But ultimately you're absolutely right that it is a patient's job ultimately, or, you know, to have the support needed to ask the right questions and really make or challenge doctors to think outside the box. Because again, Unfortunately, healthcare has become one size fits all and it's it's just not, it Absolutely. shouldn't be. Well, Chloe, I've really loved having this conversation with you. I've learned so much. I've enjoyed every moment of this. I'm like, I could really talk to you forever. <laughs> um, but to close this off, I wanna thank you for providing us with the information. I do hope everyone who listened feels that, they're, that they learned something and got something from this because it is something right now health is going to be a big thing for the rest of your lives people forever and you know with the way of the world right now I think it's important to really prioritize your health if you have not and if you haven't this is your sign prioritize your health because it's really important it's not just important for you it's important for your offspring for the people around you how you treat yourself is how you treat others so take that into consideration um, you know, I do hope everyone is always trying to improve their daily life through slow, simple actions. And over time, that becomes natural habit. And that's what I hope people hear from this experience and whatnot. And, you know, before close, before I close out, I just want to know what we can expect from the Lambie moving forward. Um, a lot of fun content, um, a lot of disruption. Um, I think our goal is really to 
challenge the status quo and play by our own rules and ultimately attract a, an audience that is sort of willing to join us in this effort of changing the landscape of primary care and making primary care focused on prevention more than anything. Um, and giving patients a seat at the table in that journey is super empowering because ultimately when they have a voice, that's how change really happens. Um, and so for us to be a practice by patients, for patients, in and out every possible way, um, allows us to really live that mission um, truly, deeply, and authentically. So um, I'll leave it at that. I love that. Thank you so much. And I wanna just say, guys, I love that, that, you, that you use this, but one size does not fit all, and it takes a team to treat the system, not the symptom. So I just want people to remember, it takes a team to treat the system, not the symptom. So Chloe, thank you for coming on the vibe. I appreciate everything. I appreciate you bringing the vibes. You are nothing short of sweet and kind. And I really look forward to this, to everyone listening. And I now know that if I need anything, I'm definitely going to be reaching out to you and definitely going to be trying out the land bee. So thank you so, so much. And seriously, you are such a light. Everybody have a beautiful day and I hope you enjoyed this episode.